Hello, and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast. My name is Dan O'Rourke, and along with me uh, is Ron Huntley, Director of Coaching at Divine Renovation. How are you doing, buddy? Good, buddy. Really good. Excellent. And I've also got the pastor of St. Benedict Parish, the author of Divine Renovation and sub-professional soccer and player, <laughs> <laughs> Father Simon Lobo. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dan. Oh, so glad. I love it when you're able, whenever you're able to join us. It's a real blessing to have you alongside today. Yeah, between my soccer games, I was able to, to squeeze it in. <laughs> you Truth must be told exhausted that, after I, the World Cup. I know. It's it's hard work sitting on the couch watching those guys on the field. Man, incredible athletes. Well, you represented Team Canada well. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Team Canada was laying on the coach, right. too. <laughs> well, Father Sean, why don't we talk a little bit about what's been going on at St. Benedict Parish lately? Any, anything happening? Uh, there's always things <laughs> happening. Things always happening. things. Well, coming up tomorrow night, we have another one of the beta nights. I know we've talked about those at length uh, in well, other why don't, why don't we just briefly, for those who have joined sure. in for the first time, explain what beta is. Sure. So we had this problem. There's a five-month gap between our alphas, the, the one that, that ends shortly after Easter and the next one that begins in late September. Right. And we thought, what do we do to bridge that gap? And so we came up with this idea of beta. It's, I guess it's the second letter in the Greek alphabet, I think. And after Alpha, and it's just a simple night as we want to make it as easy as possible, mm-hmm. where it's about 90 minutes, people come together, there's some, maybe not a full-blown meal, but some snacks, uh, some desserts, perhaps coffee and tea, yep. and then uh, an icebreaker, uh, a message, uh, some testimonies, and then small group discussions right at the tables. Instead of moving to, to different rooms for the right. small group discussions, they're, they're right there. And so the whole thing is is about 90 minutes, mm-hmm. and and it's been a blast. Uh, now, So you've, done, you've been doing this now for, like, what, what, how many betas are we into? We planned for four over yeah. the summer, and so this is, we're coming up on number three of four. And just to, uh, to be clear for those who are joining us for the first time, the reason we don't run alpha in the summer, and the reason we've got that five-month gap is because we find it really hard to, to get people to show up in the summer, and that's just culturally the way we are in Canada, because we get such few months of nice weather we like to we like to spend it outdoors doing things and so beta was yeah. the solution so you, how many you were planning for four and you've done how many at this point three or right, we're coming up this is our third so this yeah. will be your third so uh, have you learned anything from doing them well it's interesting i i just was having this conversation with tanya noy so she's our latest addition to the team or one of our latest additions to the team she's running alpha and connections at saint benedict and tanya um we were going back and forth We've tried to have different themes each night. One was on community or or one was was more so on general. How do I grow as a disciple? Coming up is one on service, right. trying to get people to serve. So one of the interesting things as I'm learning is that it's it's not all clear. Like, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm continuing to discover. So beta has two purposes. One is to continue connections with people who are alpha grads. So people who have yep. finished Alpha, we want to stay connected with them because we're feeling like some of them are slipping through the cracks. We're losing them. So how do we maintain those connections at least once a month over the summer? Number two, we also want to create an open invitational environment for new people who haven't yet done Alpha or who are not yet necessarily part of our church at all yep. and say, hey, this is there's this thing coming up on Friday do you want to do you want to check it out? And I've been able to invite some people to beta, and it's been really cool uh, that otherwise to say, "Hey, come check out Alpha." It's in four months from now. Save the date. <laughs> you yep. can actually say, "Hey, it's coming up in a week or two. And so, I was talking to, to Tanya. We're going back and forth, saying this next one is is about service. And at Saint Benedict Parish, uh, we have a little tool we call Saint BP Serve. So this is to to get people engaged 
maybe in service for the very first time. They, they thought, you know, I'm not worthy or I don't know what to do or they've already got way too many people, they don't need me, whatever. And we're trying to break down some of those barriers and say, hey, here's a simple tool, a little form either online or a hard copy, fill it out and, and say, oh, I didn't realize I could be in hospitality. I just need to, to stand at the entranceway, greet people, smile, yep. be kind and welcoming. I didn't know that I could do that. And yeah, we'd love for you to try that. So I was saying to Tanya, like, let's make it as easy as possible at beta night for people to get into service. And like, let's hand out the cards and do all this stuff. And she, she gave me some pushback on that in that she was saying, well, what about the people who are coming out for the very first time right. yeah. this week yeah. who haven't yet done alpha? And what about them? Are we, are we just going to overwhelm them mm. by, by making too big of an ask? I was like, oh, that's a great point. <laughs> yep. And good for her. Good yeah. for her to speak up. And, mm. and it just shows how, how much she has grown in our culture. She really understands the whys behind things. And so we went back and forth and tried to say, maybe we can introduce it in a way, but without doing it, handing one out to every single person and right. saying, here, fill yeah. this out tonight and don't right. leave before you filled it out. You know, But, but you, can, you can glance at it and see, oh, I didn't realize that these are some things I could... I could I could try out. So I have a question for you, Father Simon. You mentioned that T- Tanya is uh, helping out with al- like taking taking charge of Alpha and connections. Mm-hmm. Is that the same as Connect Groups, or is that different than Connect Groups? Different. Thank you. Great question. So Alpha connections means basically anything in which we connect with people relationally. It's a gigantic job, and probably it will grow into its own position down the road. But I, the way I envisioned it is, you have Alpha, this wonderful tool for for bringing people into relationship with Jesus and other people in the church. But how do you connect people into Alpha in the first place? Mm-hmm. So pre-Alpha, things like hospitality, our welcome center, we have connection cards or these, these new at St. BP events, those kind of pre-Alpha connection points. But then post-Alpha, as I said, we've identified a bit of a backdoor problem where we're losing people after they've, even people mm-hmm. who've, who've had an amazing experience on Alpha we're not always connecting well with them. Mm. And so some of those things like including connect groups or being firstly being on alpha team, yeah. uh, discipleship groups, getting to serve in ministry, uh, worshiping a mass, all those other connection points that continue post-alpha. And so Tanya isn't, I mean, like I say, that's a gargantuan responsibility. She's not responsible for each of those things, but she's. we wanted to have somebody who, who will kind of connect with all the leaders of those various ministries mm. and 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 so that we can do a better job of not losing people. I use this this phrase, you know, we don't want to be if we're fishing, uh, we don't we're called to be fishers of of people. We don't want to just do catch and release. Right? Right. We want to <laughs> capture people for Christ and and keep connected with them. Yeah. And that's why at, at at HTB where Alpha was originated from Holy Trinity Brompton, they actually run three seasons of Alpha in a row. And at St. Benedict, it's two in a row. Uh, and I guess there's a little bit of an offset. You could make an argument there's three seasons, but it's the daytime alpha right. for that third season. Right. And so certainly the biggest crowds we get are to the evening one, aren't they? Mm. And uh, yeah, as Dan, you mentioned, it's hard. We tried yeah. early on to do a third one. It just doesn't work in our context. And so I just love what you guys mm. have done there. And having gone to one, as I mentioned before, it was so yeah. awesome. And they're pretty well attended, aren't they? How many people show up to a beta? <laughs> 
I would say close to 100 people, and, and what we've seen is close to 10% would be walk-ins, people who have not yet taken Alpha, who are brand right, new. Cool. So People so are inviting, really cool. And just for yeah. comparison, how much how many people would normally be at an Alpha at an Alpha evening? So our larger Alphas maybe at the beginning would start at around 200, and, and there's a bit of an attrition, but yep. certainly 150 would be a, a pretty solid right. number. Yeah. yeah, I think that gives the context. Now, Ron... Mm. Um, you are invited to fall asleep during this podcast. You know why? Because <laughs> you've been doing a lot of traveling, buddy. Uh, so I, I know you've had you've been on the road. So why don't you tell us a little bit where you've been? Yeah, I was invited uh, by Alpha Australia and uh, the uh, Australia bishops to come and speak at the Proclaim Conference in 2018, which is a national uh, bishops conference open to people. It was the first time they'd ever sold out, which uh, congratulations to all the organizers. That's Flat awesome. Fun. And then uh, Lorraine from Alpha Australia had me speaking in all kinds of different places and venues and coaching into people that are on their way with divine renovation. It was just a jam-packed two so weeks. So the Proclaim talk that you gave, I mean, it, it, it's, it's online, right? So if people are interested in seeing that that presentation, they can find that on, on online. Is that right? Yeah, they can if they look at my Twitter feed or my yep. Instagram feed. So my Twitter's Ron underscore Huntley and yep. Instagram is RM Hunts. Perfect. And uh, they can find a link. So they can to find the, the whole presentation there. And it was yeah. shared bro- broadly. I know there's thousands yeah. of people who've watched it because it was uh, it was that good, Ron. It was that <laughs> good. You were on fire that day. Um, but look, give me give me a sense. You got to travel all mm. over Australia. You got to meet all sorts of different people. Mm. What are some of the things you learned? What what's the church like in Australia right now? What are some of the perspectives? you've gleaned Hmm. you know it's interesting and i see this everywhere i go is that you know people consider their circumstances their history their culture and they see themselves as really unique and and fair enough but what i see time and time again is the, the very issues that we're all facing in the church are actually the same there are very few differences and so they're struggling with the exact same issues we are in canada the uk the u.s uh and so you know each time I do something like that or speak to people from different places, I realize, oh my heavens, we are all facing the same thing. And in, in essence, it's a lack of fruitfulness. You know, you know, if you can tell a tree by its fruits, we're all feeling like we could do better, but no one knows how. Right. And that's what I love about what we do. And, and you know, Father James' book, The Divine Renovation, uh, really gives people a model to start sinking their teeth into. But you know what was fun about being there is that, you know, when people look at the model, they often look at the programs. And what they asked me to speak at the Proclaim Conference was culture. And the analogy I used was, you know, you have your soil, you have your seeds, and you have the fruit. And everybody wants fruit. And rightfully so. And so what do we do? We run out and get some seeds and we plant those seeds and the fruit that shows up isn't the same that's on the package. <laughs> and that's a problem. But it happens because we don't understand that our cul- that our culture or our soil is toxic. And so I really had an opportunity to speak heavily into that. That was the invitation that I was given. And it really landed. People realized, holy cow, this is a thing. Mm-hmm. And if it's going to change, it needs. To, we need to lead into that change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I continued to speak throughout the country as the weeks progressed, you know, I, I just let people know that if you're, if if you think you're on the divine renovation track and you're not addressing your culture and how you lead, you're not, because if you're just doing alpha and hoping to put into connect groups and and you haven't addressed the underlying culture. Say it again, though, Ron. Like if you, if you think you're on the divine renovation track, mm. but you're not, you're not addressing culture and, and how you lead. 
then you're not on then the you're not on the divine renovation track. In fact, yeah. I even ask people, please don't say it, <laughs> because yeah. you're doing alpha and you're and you're hoping to be able to do uh, connect groups after that, which is great. But you know, just you know, uh, you know, you take a look at the, the parable of the seed. Some fell on the path, some fell on the rocks, some fell on the thorns, and some fell in in the rich soil. And and the difference, you know, the similarity between the one the seed that fell in the rock and the seed that fell in the rich soil is they both sprung up quickly. Yep. But the difference is the one in the rocks, the shallow soil, didn't have any roots, and so it, it withered up and died. Yeah. Uh, but the other one continued to grow. And so, you know, if people are doing alpha, they're going to see early fruits. But if they haven't addressed their culture and how they lead, those are going to wither up and die. And I see it all the time. And and so it was nice to be there yeah, to speak yeah, think, into well, that. Well, this is the this is I think the the crux of the the, the mistake people are most likely to make. Mm. People who would listen to this podcast, sure, right? They they take some of the things that are going on at St. Benedict mm. Parish that are going on in divine renovation parishes all around the world. They they'd implement them as best best practices, right? Yes, and be like, look, right. we're doing divine renovation. We've got Alpha. We've got a Connect group. We're going to start Beta. Yeah, we're, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but but and then then they look at it and they go, well, why isn't like well, yeah. it's not clicking? The simple way. example I I heard I think Father James told me about another church that. Figured, oh, let's start a hospitality team. We'll have hospitality greeters and all that. Well, their culture is, you know, they're all a bunch of crusty people who are, are not kind and not smiling and not right. And so it didn't make a lick of difference mm. because just because they created this hospitality team, the lack of hospitality in their in that under the water culture. Mm. Is uh, is killing them, and I would say too that if that's the case, and it probably is, it's not the people; it's the leadership. Mm. That's the culture you've created as leaders. That's the church we've created as a church. It's not the people's fault. I've never gone into a church where we haven't been able to turn that around. And so, please, if that's your situation, don't judge the people. Mm. Take responsibility for that as leaders and model the very leadership and culture you want to see. And that's why a senior leadership team is critical. I see it happen all the time, especially when I first start coaching new churches. Mm. You know, I say, what are the, you know, what's your big dream? And they share their dream. I say, what are the obstacles? And a lot of times they think it's the people. It's not the people. That is one of the biggest myths and biggest lies leaders tell themselves. It's not. It's how we've led in the past. And so we get the very church we deserve. Mm -hmm. And so that can be turned around if we focus on Jesus Christ. Mm. Jesus is the answer to our problems. And if we can unleash people in the power of the Holy Spirit, that changes everything. But don't ask for behavioral change until you've given people transformational change in Jesus Christ. Critical. And a lot of times we avoid that and we just go for behavioral changes. It's not incremental change. Doesn't that just go back to the old shooting people to death? (laughs) Don't shoot on me. Ten (laughs) Ten commandments. Yeah. uh, You just make a new list of commandments that people... I want you to smile. Yeah. I want you to shake hands. Like right. we're telling people what to do, right. but you don't have there to tell people to do change. that if they've come to Jesus Christ. Yeah. If they've had a transformational encounter with Jesus Christ and they've surrendered their life, you don't have to tell them to smile. <laughs> you don't have to tell them to be hospitable. <laughs> Just wind them up and let them go. Yeah. And so, you know, those are some of the things that I've got to speak into. And they're the same issues all around the world so far that I've been to and that, that I've coached into. Yeah. I might get to a place where that's not the case, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's funny, as, as I think of the people who've come through Alpha, I've seen so many of them around the parish this last week, because you've got uh, a big thing going on at the parish this week. <laughs> we it's, do, It's busy yeah. over there. Oh, yeah. We're getting shipwrecked right now. <laughs> shipwrecked. As we speak. <laughs> so why don't you speak a little bit? What's going on at St. Benedict Parish we, this week? We have a vacation Bible school on right now, so it's for, for kids in, in elementary school, and, and it's a blast. There are Laura, who 
happens to be married to somebody I know. <laughs> That's my wife. Yes. God bless her. She's doing a beautiful job with these kids. Uh, this theme of shipwrecked, saved by Jesus is is the or rescued by Jesus. I don't know. I, the kids all have their whatever. Uh, what what was it? You know, whenever you're lonely, they all yell out, "Jesus saves!" Or oh, cool. Whenever that's awesome. Whenever you feel abandoned, Jesus saves. Or, it's you beautiful. Know, it's, so each day they have a different theme, and it's it's fun. They've got songs, and they've got all the different stations. You know, the craft stations and the the outdoors. There's the somehow getting wet station, and there's the <laughs> it's pretty hot right now, yeah, so it's, say, it's a lot that. of fun. <laughs> one kid said, "My favorite station is the snack station." So that's an, that's a critical one. That's an but important station. They're, they're having a blast. There's, I think, there's well over a hundred people, and so th- there's Laura. She's got a whole team of. There's some adults. There's teenagers, mm. and I talked to one of the one of the dads who came in yesterday, just as getting ready to pick up his kids, and and he said, "Yeah, my son is is involved, and he's a junior leader." I said, "Oh, that's awesome. How old is he again?" It's one of our altar services. Well. Yeah. How old is he again? He's 10. That's He's awesome. a junior leader. I'm thinking, <laughs> isn't that amazing? Like, talk about a leadership pipeline. We're starting them young, getting, giving them little responsibilities, and it's beautiful. That's so cool. We were driving in this morning, and I haven't seen Laura much. You asked, like, <laughs> yeah. Laura has been so busy trying to get all the things, and she's, so she's been working early mornings and late nights, and... Uh, and I, the last thing I want to talk to her about is like vacation Bible school. I figure like, you know, yeah. it's probably best to <laughs> like, you know, break. you want pancakes here? Like, I mean, that's kind of the conversation I should be having because she does need a bit of a break. But we were driving in this morning and uh, she was just sharing ever, ever so briefly about a couple things. And she said, you know, one of the cool things is some of these junior leaders, some of these young leaders mm-hmm. that have, that, that have mm-hmm. volunteered to be part of vacation Bible, they're doing so amazing with the kids. She's like, mm-hmm. I'm seeing all sorts of capacity. I didn't even know our parish had because yes. they've stepped up and stepped yes. into this. And she's like, there are so many cool kids there that are, that are doing an amazing job. And it's just so neat how it's the, these kinds of things don't just serve, uh, serve the community, but they begin to surface those leadership potentials inside of it too. Not fun. I, I haven't had a chance to talk to Laura about this yet, but, but I'm starting to, to dream about what if the culture of vacation Bible school is actually not for five days or five afternoons in a summer, but that's actually the culture of kids Amen. ministry mm. at our parish 12 months of the year. Right. And I'd be surprised if she's not thinking that, mm. you know, cause sometimes it, it's those rally cries that, that give our church a reason to come together and new people to come forward and volunteer. And it's from that, that we can often build Mm-hmm. Uh, into the very things that we see as critical in the future, and so I I would be surprised if Laura's not thinking. And what's like that. so cool with with uh, sorry, I, I, what I've enjoyed walking around the building because I haven't been part of Vacation Bible School at all. I mean, you know, it's it's, but I work in the building, so I'm I'm there. And uh, but the, the age ranges you see everyone from senior citizens to like you know fifties, forties, thirties, twenties, like thirteen, like it's yes. all like the, yeah. everyone's there and participating. Yes. It's amazing. It's such a beautiful example of of, of a community coming together. <laughs> So, Ron, I'm going to go back to you because yes. I, I want to know some of the, you. You must have not just talked about parishes and talked to parishes. You must have mm. met some pretty cool people. Did you meet anyone in Australia that you mm. wanted to talk about? Like, are any any interesting contacts or connections made? Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. Or... <laughs> oh, I should have took a picture of him. He was on the Sydney Pier. I swear to God. You ever see one of those guys that freeze? 
but they're real and they just freeze. <laughs> yeah, and he had the crocodile. <laughs> he was like, I should have took a picture. I was just so taken by it. Oh, hopefully, we're not offending our Australian <laughs> brothers and sisters. They, they understand. He was there. It was great. No, all kinds of. It really was. It was amazing to to hang out with uh, Bishop Mark Coleridge, uh, who is the uh, head of the Australian bishops there in mm-hmm. the speaker's lounge for for proclaim, as well as the other the bishops right across the country were there. Um, Cardinal Dew was there from from New Zealand and. It was wonderful spending time with him. It was interesting. You know, I asked him, I said, at one point, I said, hey, Cardinal, you're the first Cardinal I've ever talked to. And he says, oh, well, that's interesting. I said, you know, as a Cardinal, what are the three things that you feel are most uh, of largest priority to you? Because I'd be, I'd be interested to know. And he told me all three. To be honest with you, I forget the other two because the first one was so impressive to me. <laughs> He said identifying and raising up leaders was his first one. Wow. And I thought, isn't that amazing? Because that's straight across the board, no matter what you're leading into, if you're an organization, you know, if you're a company uh, for business, for profit, or, or nonprofit, or church, uh, or cardinal, identifying is identifying and, raising, and leaders. raising up leaders. And I just thought, isn't that amazing? It was fascinating talking to him. And, you know, they have to travel a lot and stuff. And yeah, it's wonderful, you know. Talking to the bishops, they're just so much fun. I, I just, I just really was blessed by that time there. They're getting ready for a plenary in 2020. Really leaning into the Holy Spirit and listening. And mm-hmm. as a country, they're just kind of going to listen to the Holy Spirit and figure out where God's calling them in the next ten to twenty years. And right. a lady named uh, Lana is heading that up, and I met her, and and so it was a lot of fun. But you know, another group of people that I met, uh, a lot of teachers. Uh, the, the Catholic school system over there is fairly robust, and uh, and so there were a lot of teachers and principals, educators and stuff in the different talks that I gave, and uh, it was really interesting and beautiful talking to them. Uh, ran into a lady from Denver uh, who had relocated to, to Australia, and she was just saying how the Catholic school system in Australia was even more robust uh, mm-hmm. than what she'd experienced in Denver, and she was happy with it there as well, but... Um, but they're still having the same problem. That is, they're not creating disciples. Yeah. They're graduating good students who enjoy the education. And so it was beautiful talking to them. A lot of the, all the things that we speak into are equally applicable to teachers and anybody who's working in the church who knows that the, you know, the, the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. And yeah. we're all struggling with that. But what's fun is I think we're reframing the conversation, and I think the ministry, the Divine Renovation Ministry, is really helping people to reframe the conversation so that we can focus on fruitfulness and not busyness. Mm, And if we do that and we define what fruit looks like, then we can start to hold ourselves accountable for results. But if we don't define what fruit looks like, if we just make assumptions, it's a dangerous place to be because we can drift a long time being very busy doing good work but not necessarily getting the results that we know God is calling us to. We need to be laser focused on what fruit looks like. And so it was wonderful talking to them too. Several of them came up to me afterwards and really felt uh, a strong urge to recommit to the very things that they know in their heart Jesus is calling them to. And I thought, wow, that's great. And I often say to, to teachers or, or, or principals that the people I would focus on first aren't the kids. It would be your staff. Mm. You can't give what you don't have. And and no disrespect to the, the teachers in Catholic school systems, but, you know, are principals concerned about your relationship with Jesus? Are they doing what they can do to bring to the leaders in your school? Are they bringing you to Christ, mm-hmm. uh, bringing you to a place of personal prayer time, meditating with Scripture, learning, you know, yeah. falling in love with Jesus and being open to the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. 
Let's be clear. The answer is no. doesn't mean they're not great people doing great things, leading to the very things they're being held accountable for. But I think in some instances, we're not holding people accountable to the things that matter most. Mm. We're, we've wow. no longer made the, wow. the most important thing the most important thing, and we're paying a, we're paying a stiff price for it. And again, no malintent. Yep. But it was just wonderful to hear their feedback as we spoke into those very issues right. uh, as it relates to the ministry. So not only have you done a lot of travel, traveling recently, but I understand, mm-hmm. Father Simon, you've done a lot of traveling. In fact, I hear you took your whole team with you traveling. Yes, we traveled <laughs> quite far, not as far as Australia, but as far as a suburb of Halifax, Lower Sackville. <laughs> Lower Sackville. Which is, which is where I live. So I actually didn't even have to drive that morning. I rolled out of bed and walked down the hill. <laughs> Uh, but the others had a full 15 to 20 minute drive ahead of them. So <laughs> it's quite the commute. Yes. So tell us about this trip and why you were doing it. Well, we didn't get to eat kangaroo while no. we were there, unfortunately, in Lower Sackville. But Missed what opportunity. We, what, we did, what we did do, uh, we do this at least once a year, uh, an all staff offsite. And in addition to a, a, an annual retreat, this is, this is a time to just come away for a while. Jesus did that all the time with his disciples. They came away to a deserted mm. place. They rested, but I can only imagine that he also spoke into them mm. and listened to them uh, reflect back. You know, how's the ministry been going, brothers? You know, what's, what's, what are you learning? Where are you struggling? And, and, and to really share about when we go back out there, what are you going to be focused on again? Mm. And so that's basically what we did. The, the format of the day was we we had mass together and and I should say we gathered at a Holy Trinity Pastoral Unit, uh, which happens to be a parish that is in the Divine Renovation Network. It's also run by some of my brother companions of the cross, mm-hmm. so they're good enough good enough to welcome us and give us the space and to to meet. But they also joined us for mass, which is really cool because mm. we could. I think we we really wanted to pray for them and bless them as we were there, and we all went for coffee uh, right after that together, both staffs. And and then we got into That's cool. the yeah it was just it was fun we 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 really wanted to they're they're much earlier in the journey but man do they have I think they're starting to get into a place they're getting the right people on the bus and mm. and they are they they've got the gifts that they need to to renew Fruitful. their local parish yeah and so anyways yeah we we had some some coffee together and and then every every good all all staff offsite requires caffeine. Uh, but then the core of it was to go through and do three things wins drops goals so each person on staff went went through and and it we're we're separated into different teams the clergy team the pastoral leadership team the communications team the operations team and the leader of each team introduced the team and how the year's been and then one at a time the members of each team got up for up to five minutes, mm-hmm. and shared some of the key wins that they had from the year, some of the drop balls. So this is, speaking of accountability, some of the things that, you know what, I set out to do this or that thing, and I didn't do it. And I just want to own that. And then moving forward, a few key goals for the coming year to say, you know what, this is what I want to, this is what I want to go for, this is where I want to focus my energy. And it was so inspiring. First of all, like, I think, this has been going on at the parish for years long before I arrived. And initially there was some awkwardness, some people getting up in front of the group and speak public speaking, all that. Well, it was just really natural, really fun. Part of the and, culture and now. Part of the culture. And so everyone shared it. I think of one of the comments 
from Ryan, who's our facilities manager, and he does an amazing job with the building and behind the scenes serving, organizing, cleaning, and fixing, and all that stuff. Uh, but he he said, you know, sitting here listening to mm-hmm. all that's being shared from some of the people who are on the frontline ministry, it's so inspiring to me because I don't get to hear what's happening. And so I think, again, where, wherever we're working in silos, it helps to bring those down and bring us together, really unify us. And I was mm. sensing uh, a sense of, of greater unity and excitement. Uh, for lunch, what we did, there's another church, a vineyard church, about a 20-minute walk down the road, and it was a beautiful day. And I said, we're going to actually go on pilgrimage. So we walked together in silence uh, from one church to the next. The Vineyard Church happens to have a cafe and and uh, you know soup and sandwich kind of place and and an ice cream bar, which is the real reason we went. Uh, <laughs> I could use one of those right <laughs> now. <laughs> but but just in silence, praying, reflecting again. There's such a beautiful spirituality to pilgrimage, being both about Father Alex gave us a quick little uh, focus on pilgrimage that it's it's not just about the destination it's about the journey but it's not just about the journey because if you don't have a clear destination you're just wandering aimlessly and our destination was ice cream but <laughs> as as we were as we were walking this time to to be in silence and it's so weird like we're wondering what the locals are thinking there's this group of you know over a dozen people walking in silence not talking to each other <laughs> but but just prayerfully going through and actually Laura had shared how she was reflecting on some of the psalms as as she was going, maybe Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Mm. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And just reflecting on that as she's moving. And anyways, we, we got there to lunch and, and had some fun and and came, came back on the way back. We, sh- we shared, the, the goal was as we're walking, try and talk to two or three people and just share, you know, what were some of the things that you had been hearing this morning or some of the things that, we're coming up in your prayer time that were inspiring you the most. Mm. And then we got back and had a, a bit of a group sharing and ended in a time of praise and worship and prayer. And, and it just so happened that the staff of a couple of the staff members of Holy Trinity pastoral unit uh, were around as we were ending. And we said, Hey, come on. And we want to pray over you. And we want to pray symbolically for your whole uh, unit that you're, you're called to serve and lead that, that God would, would bless you and, and keep, keep raising you up to to do what he's calling you to do and and so it w- it was a marvelous day it was that's loads awesome. of fun that is awesome man that, that's uh <laughs> i'm just full just listening to you that is so great <laughs> you know and i hope the listeners that are hearing this like it's just so fun to watch the innovations to, to can see a continuing some of these cultural pieces and adding new stuff and making it even richer it's so cool and i just hope our listeners are are mm-hmm. thinking of ways that they can implement some of this stuff because it does bring unity. It totally does. And just one of the comments at the end of the day in our sharing, Kate Robinson said, you know, and Kate's played a lot of soccer. So we began talking about soccer. She hasn't played in the World Cup yet, but she's uh, she played at a national she's level. It. She's watched it. You know, she watched some with me, you know. Uh, but but she, she said, I've played on a lot of teams and I've played on championship teams. And being here together in the state, it's starting to feel like a championship mm. team. Mm. You know, not not to say it wasn't before or anything, but just no, that no. feeling of, hey, God, God bringing us together, breaking down the barriers, setting us up, and 
There's something coming. I don't even know what it is, but there's something coming and it's so exciting. Do you know what, Father Simon? That, I'm so excited to hear you say that because that's one of the things I spoke into is that we've been losing for a while as a church. Mm. We're losing and mm. God doesn't want us to lose. We're, we're built to win. And so I'm so excited to hear you say that because we need to build championship teams and Amen. we need to stop losing. I told the Amen. story of you playing water polo for three oh, years no. and never winning a game. I said, <laughs> you guys were like five years all of high school. <laughs> but that it sucked the fun out of playing sports. And, and you know, so many priests, uh, they're getting the life sucked out of them because we're losing and, and we don't have to lose. We can build championship teams and we can go reclaim the kingdom for Jesus. Amen. Like, man, that's Amen. exciting. And you're actually scouting the minors right now too, right? You're, you're hiring yet more people onto your team. Oh, yes. We're oh, constantly, right. It's been a year of transition. And 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 growth, but it, it's been you know mostly for the good. And so we're uh, I mentioned the kids ministry. We've we've got a youth ministry hire out there, and we're we're trying we're praying and and asking God to send us the right person mm. to to lead our youth ministry and and really lead our teens and raise up leaders there. So and Ron, you hear from our, our network parishes, the DR network parishes all the time. They're hiring. anyone hiring now in the network? Oh my gosh. Probably 50% of them are hiring now it's amazing, in the network. Isn't it? It's, it really is incredible. I was talking to, or I just got an email from Father Michael Clerk from Montreal this morning, and, and they're in the process of hiring somebody else right now and another one in the fall. And so it's just so exciting to see people building those championship teams. You know what's hard, though? And I just, again, encourage any listeners who, who really have a heart for this ministry and maybe feeling the call to be in full-time ministry, you know, feel free to connect with us at divinerenovation.net and let us know if you're interested in taking some of these jobs or even hearing about them mm-hmm. all over the world because people are looking for great people and they're not necessarily easy to find because we don't have a tradition or a culture of highly qualified lay people leaving industry to take jobs in the church to build up the kingdom of God. Not that there aren't amazing lay people in uh, ministry and churches now, there are, but I think they're hiring with a new bent, mm. you know, mm. a, a new bent, like capacity and and results-oriented people who know how to motivate, inspire, and bring people to Jesus Christ. And so that's not always something that is, uh, you can learn through a degree. Sometimes you can, mm. but sometimes you don't necessarily have to have a degree to be somebody who can have a huge impact in your local church. I mean, we have a theologian in every church, and that's the pastor or the parish priest. And so, you know, we need specialists who can get results and and uh, help build those championship teams. So if that's you I, and you're listening. I, I don't know if I'd refer to myself as a theologian, but thank you for that. <laughs> I just I remember this story that Bill Scholar tells about the, the famous coach from the Buffalo Bills, I think. They were going through a season of winning, and, and he was asked one day in an interview, how do you how do you get your team motivated? And he said, I want everybody to, to listen in. I'm only going to say this once. So everybody quieted down. <laughs> he said, I don't motivate my players. I, I hire motivated players. I bring on motivated players. And if there are people on the team who are not motivated, I get rid of them. And that's, right. that's how, that's mm. how, that was his approach to building mm. championship teams. Love it. Awesome. Well, guys, I want us to take a quick break and I want us to come back with our guest. And so I'm excited to talk to him. And I hope you guys are too. Can't and wait. we'll be right back. Hello. 
Hello, and welcome back to the Divine Innovation Podcast. And Father Raymond D'Souza, thank you for joining us today. Most welcome. So, Father, you are the editor-in-chief at uh, convivium.ca, but you do some other things too. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Kingston, uh, Ontario, where Queen's University, where Father Simon was for two a, years. A one year, yeah. I'm one a Queen's year. dropout, yeah. Queens, uh, <laughs> it's on your resume. That was before your time, it's, it's though. Like, it's like the Psalms, one day a queen is like a thousand elsewhere. So. <laughs> oh, so that, you did very well. It's one of our nicest queens. universities in yes, the country. <laughs> better one day in your courts than a thousand <laughs> elsewhere. Um, so I'm the Archdiocese of Kingston. I was a queen student. I did more than one year. I managed to get through the whole program. I grew up in Calgary, where my family is, but I came to Queens, ended up as a priest for the Archdiocese of Kingston, and since 2003, I was ordained the year previous, I've been at the, our Newman House there, our chaplaincy at Queens University, so 15 years, uh, which is my main, if you want to say, especially during the academic year, that's where I would spend most of my time. Mm-hmm. I also have a parish on Wolf Island, which is it is an island in the St. Lawrence River, it's where Lake Ontario becomes the St. Lawrence, and... Uh, I have Sunday Mass there. It's a small parish. It has to be because of my work at the university. If it was a large parish like St. Benedict's, you couldn't combine it with something else. But I've been there since 2006, so 12 years there. So those are my main pastoral, that's my main pastoral work, the chaplaincy and the parish. And, and that's then, not how I would have heard of you first, because I've never been, I mean, I haven't been to Kingston in, in 20, 30 years, but, uh, but I've, I encountered your name because you used to be, or, or I'd open my, my newspaper and I'd often right. find it there. So most people who are outside of those two environments would know me through my writing. So since 2000 and, well, through, since 1998, I've written occasionally for the National Post, but regularly since 2004. So that's also 14 years. Mm-hmm. I have a column, uh, usually appears online on Wednesdays and in the print edition on Thursdays, although that's breaking down a bit in the new media world. And then in 2012, I started uh, Convivium Magazine, and the purpose of that was for a place where people could discuss our the relationship between faith, not just Catholics, it's Christian largely, but not only Christian, mm-hmm. uh, the intersection of faith and our common life together. And since 2017 now, so a year and a half, it's gone digital. So if you go to convivium.ca almost every day, we've got two, sometimes three new pieces. Uh, so that's my work. That's in affiliation with a group called Cardis, which is Canada's largest Christian think tank, which is, that's also an interesting adventure because that was largely out of the Dutch Reformed uh, Church and myself and my colleague Peter Stockland are Catholics. So that's a, a collaboration that didn't exist really in Canada before. That's really cool. National Post is a, a national newspaper here right. in Canada, so it's a, a widely read national publication, which uh, if you're not from Canada, you wouldn't be familiar with. Right. Uh, it is um, It is amazing just to, to, to hear the scope of the writing that you're doing in terms of the volume. Right. But wh- why? Wh- what prompted you to write in the first place? I always liked it. Uh, as a, Even as a child, uh, my father's a chemical engineer, so his background is sciences, but he was a good writer and he had high standards. So even as children, we were taught you know, the joy of writing something well. I and mean, he was very demanding with us, even as, you know, children writing our little school reports. And I always liked it. And so in high school and in university, I would seek opportunities to write. I was always attracted to journalism. Mm. Uh, I never had any real interest or skill, for that matter, in like poetry or, if you want to say, the creative uh, short stories, let alone novels. It was always essays and uh, journalism. 
Uh, I like the idea of making an argument or reporting on something, helping people see things in a, maybe a way that they didn't see it before or try to persuade them to see something in a way they didn't before. But I didn't have a plan to be a writer, although I, I, if you'd asked me when I was 18, 19, 20, I would have thought, yeah, I think that would be a great job mm. to be a newspaper columnist. The idea that you would think about things, have a view on them, and write it down for other people to read mm. sounded to me like a pretty... <laughs> That's cool, eh? <laughs> you found your passion. Pretty um, interestingly enough, when I went into the seminary, I thought that that was one thing I would uh, have to give up that aspiration. Just because it is not, I mean, priest writing in the Catholic press is obviously very common. Almost every Catholic publication has one priest, if not more, writing for them. So yeah. that's not unusual. But uh, a priest writing in the secular press is quite unusual. So I thought. The idea of writing in the secular for a secular audience in a mass mm. distribution newspaper, I thought, well, that's not good. That's I'm not going to be a newspaper. I'm not going to be a newspaper columnist. And it turned out, I I am actually, and have been my entire priest. See, I find that fascinating. Like, what what prompted you to speak into the into the secular world? Not, I mean, was it your childhood dream come true, or was now in your in your embrace of your calling as a priest? Um, was there some connection there? Help me understand it. Well, if I said I had a childhood dream to grow up to be a newspaper columnist, I think people would think I was a pretty dorky child. Uh, you know, you're supposed to have a, a childhood dream to be an astronaut or a, Not everybody. a football player or at, at minimum like a fireman. <laughs> so to be a writer of a newspaper column would seem a little bit bookish, I guess, for a child. But I enjoyed it as a, certainly as a uh, teenager. And, uh, you know, I would as I say, university, if I could write for the student newspaper. But what actually happened was that um, I got started writing in the Catholic press uh, back in the late 90s. I was, it's a long story, but basically I wanted to go on a pilgrimage. I didn't have any money. So I wrote, I was in the seminary. I wrote to the editors of the papers. And back in then, for your viewers who might be interested, that involved writing a letter on paper, printing it out, mm -hmm. and then putting it in an envelope and sending it <laughs> through uh, what was called a postal service. <laughs> I've, I've and, heard tell of such things, yes. And then you wait, and later somebody uses the same system to return an answer to you. Uh, so it wasn't just sort of, you know, sending out an email blast. Uh, so I... I thought, well, I could write some articles about this and help pay for my uh, pilgrimage. So that's how I got started. But in the secular press, when the National Post was started in 1998, so October 1998 was its first edition, the editor at the time, uh, in the year leading up to that, one of the things that he wanted, his name is Ken White, he went on to be editor of McLean's, he said one thing that's going to make the Post different than the Globe and Mail principally at the time, Toronto Star, was we're going to take religion seriously. It's a, it's, a, it's a legitimate subject of news coverage. It's not just um, sort of a private interest of people. It has an impact. Mm. We're going to cover it seriously. And we're going to include religious voices. Um, and as the other parts of the media became a little bit more hostile to religious content, he also thought this would be good for business because if people are looking for that, they'll come look for us. Yeah. So... I was, at that time, Ken and I were not friends. We knew each other through mutual friends, uh, and they put us together, and I was just going to Rome in the fall of 1998 to do my theology studies, and he said, you know, we're launching this paper, and he said, you know, if something is interesting there, why don't you write something for us? And it was just that. I mean, I wasn't on a contract, huh. and uh, so I got there in September of 98, August of 98, 
And John Paul had his 20th anniversary in October of 1998. And as part of his 20th anniversary um, commemoration was published, uh, Fides et Ratio, Cyclical on Faith and Reason. And so I thought that would be interesting. It's an important thing. So without really knowing what I was doing, uh, I wrote an analysis of it, which was 2,000 words long, which is much, much longer than you'd ever have in a newspaper. But I didn't know that at the time. Right. Uh, and I sent it to them, which by email. So we're Compu oh, okay. we're <laughs> Comp CompuServe Compu was uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> wow, yeah. Dial up CompuServe was at the was that was uh, a cutting, thing. Edge. cutting edge, yeah. Well, well you dial you through the phone line you dial up. Yep. And I sent this in and because it was only their first two weeks of publishing, I think they said, Okay, this will show that we're different. So they ran this full page, 2,000 words. They ran all 2,000? Yeah. Wow. That's a big cool. Picture, with a big picture of John Paul in the center of it. Wow. And it was a full page. And I, I think, you know, today they probably wouldn't do that. Right. Uh, they'd shorten it. But I think at that time they were going to say, okay, if anybody in our potential readership is looking for something different, this is a way to say you, you'd never find this yeah. elsewhere. And they liked it. And... Uh, then when I came back to Canada, I started writing. I did a, a daily column for two and a half weeks during World Youth Day. I was ordained at the same time, so covered my ordination, the Pope's visit, and that got a good reaction. And then when I came back full-time from Rome, they asked me to write every week, which has now been 14 years. And uh, for writers who are interested, if, if you want to be a good if you want to be a successful journalist, um, the most important thing uh, is to write fast. The second most important thing is to write well. And obviously they want people who can do both and have something interesting to say, third. Uh, but, you know, in other forms of writing, like we have an author here. Yeah, I was going to say, you're not the only one who writes around here. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, but, you know, he produced a, a book. I'm sure we have images of it around. To, um, but, you know, when you're writing a book, you have time to go back and edit or send it to somebody course, yeah. and so forth. And that's important. Um, but in newspapers or periodicals, you don't have that time. Mm -hmm. you, it's got to go today. And actually, the internet has made that part of the job worse because sure. it used to be, okay, we want something today so we can put it in tomorrow's paper. So you had till whatever, 6, 8 o'clock in the evening. But now if something happens, they want it now because it has to go online right away. So um, obviously, you have to have something to say. Obviously, you have to write well. But... As important as those things are, the most important thing in this field uh, is fast. And everybody knows that in journalism now because even people who are not writers uh, but like to comment on their own social media feeds, they you know, they want it right away. So, you know, if you're at a game and you're watching the Blue Jays, you know, you don't wait till you get home to make your comment to whoever may or may not be interested in what you have to say. You want to do it. In real time. Right, right there. I'm not sure if that, I don't think on balance that's good. <laughs> Just but for it, the record. But it, but, <laughs> but it is the it's world we're in. So, the reality. So that's, so to be able to write fast. Hmm. And given my pastoral duties, you know, I do, most weeks I do four columns a week, uh, sometimes wow. five. So let, let's go so, back, let's go to a specific moment in your history yeah. with, uh, for a moment, just because I, I find it to be one of the more interesting um, mm -hmm. ones. I just want to explore it and... I think it'll help uh, help me understand you a bit better. When when you started writing for the National Post, mm -hmm. how in the world did you decide what 
you were going to write about for the secular newspaper, this right, national yeah. secular newspaper, which at the time for, for historical purposes was the, the, the existence of the paper itself was news because it, it kicked off a newspaper war in our country. Right. And so it was this mm. big thing. And, and here you are, uh, you know, writing a full page Catholic right, spread yeah. at one point. So how did you decide what, what content to, to write on? I am given, I can write about whatever subject I want. I try and choose topics that we don't already have three or four people writing sure. about in the paper. And on, obviously, you know, what the federal budget is, we've got three guys or four guys writing about that already. So I try and take a slightly different um, a different take. So, for example, last week I wrote about the 50th anniversary of the Special Olympics, right? And that's a very important story. And, uh, you know, the history behind it, the woman who founded it, the uh, sister of John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy, uh, Eunice Candy Shriver, one of the great uh, champions of the intellectually disabled and one of the great Catholics of our generation. Now, that's something that most of the readers in the paper would not know. I wouldn't so, have known that. That's uh, really cool. So that's, and that way I, I get some flexibility, rather, I mean, the editors don't tell me what to write. I choose that. I mean, every editor wants to present to his readers something they're not going to get somewhere else. Well, that sounds like a wonderful environment to work in. I love it. Uh, now, it's not an environment anymore because right. the way the news business has gone is we're all electronically dispersed around. So part of the fun of the news business, if you talk to the people who were in it you know, 30 years ago, was the collegial atmosphere of the newsroom. That's gone. We're, we're all set around the country. And the other bad news for people who might be listening and watching us who are excited about this is that you can do it, but you have to have another way to make a living. So right. I just do it and don't depend on it for a living. So. Right. You mean be a poor writer or be, be poor? Yes. Be poor. <laughs> Sorry. So you, you, you wrote for, for the secular world, but then you also were writing for, for the faith world, for, for Christians, yes. for Catholics. Help me understand how you approach that, uh, that style of communication, how it might differ from what you do in, when you're writing for, for secular audience. Right. In the Catholic press, you've got two functions. One is to, to point out, here's interesting things that are going on in the Catholic world that you may not know about. Now, I've never been a really strict reporter, so I don't do the strict news stories, but I, I might do some columns that are more reporting-like, saying this is an interesting thing that you should know, you know. Right. Uh, to give a concrete example, um, uh, this year, you know, the Pope is going to Sicily in um, September for the 25th anniversary of a priest who was killed. He was an anti-mafia mm -hmm. priest, and he was killed because of a speech that John Paul gave in Sicily in 93 wow. May. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's another priest who's beatified... Uh, much more famous. This priest, by the way, his name is uh, Don Pino Pulisi. Uh, a more famous priest is Father Yershi Papushko, oh, yeah. uh, who was him. killed because of his work on behalf of Solidarity in Poland in 1984. Mm. And then there's a sister who was just beatified, uh, who was killed because of the speech that Pope Bendit gave at Regensburg, where there was a big Islamic, kind of violent Islamic reaction, and she was killed in Somalia. So there's an article where you say, okay, these are three cases of people who were killed because of the witness, in, in this case of Pope John Paul and Pope Benedict, they said certain things and this was the response. You know, people were, they gave their lives. And that's something that your typical Catholic would be very interested in knowing, but yeah. would have no reason to have done that research. So that's kind of reporting uh, or presenting things. The other part of the Catholic press is you'd say interpretation. So something's gone on. Uh, our readership may well have heard about it, in another way, or 
for most of them heard about it in the secular press, but they just get a very small bit and sometimes they get the wrong bit. And now we can give the a wider story. So those are the two main parts of what the Catholic uh, press does. And the appetite for that has increased. Uh, one of the effects, I, I point out a negative effect of the internet on the news business, like you can't make a living as a commentator easily anymore. But one of the positive effects is that what are called niche markets. Now, if you know who the Catholic Church is, the idea that 1.2 billion people around the world are a niche Very market. Niche. <laughs> but we are in the sense of just like, yeah. you know, just as you might watch, you, you might go on your uh, satellite television channels and say there's a whole show about, you know, river fishing as opposed to ocean fishing, or not a show, a whole network right. about that. Yeah. Uh, well, there, the Catholic world, uh, there's a lot, there's an appetite for that. So yeah. actually in the Catholic press, we've seen our numbers of readers both in print amazingly, and even in certainly online increase. So, Right. I, I was just going to say, I'm seeing an analogy here in your own journey of being a writer and ending up writing to a secular audience or starting yeah. in, in that venue. And and even what we're trying to do here with Divine Innovation, trying to be churches that that are having an impact on the secular world by, by reaching out to people who are out there in the world and not just turning inwards on ourselves. And even what what you mentioned with Pope Francis and his so often, I mean, uh, when he's speaking, he has that that angle of speaking to people who are not already part of the flock, and mm -hmm. he's saying things that people who are in the flock are confused about or mm -hmm. or, or frustrated or 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 scandalized even. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm just seeing that that thread through all of that where he's trying to reach outwards as well. Well, my main, my main work, uh, which is wouldn't be well-known to people off outside of Queen's campus. Uh, if you're on the university campus, university campus is not a very friendly environment uh, for religion in general, and certainly not for Catholicism in particular. Uh, so all of our students, even those who come, say, from very strong homes and have a very strong, strong uh, homes where the faith was very strong, pardon me, uh, and have a very strong faith, they're, now they're in an environment where they're, they're kind of under attack, or at least mm. well, they're not kind of, they are under attack and they feel it. Mm. Uh, and then you've got people who have just lived their whole life, they're now 18 or 19, and never really thought once, let alone twice, about the mm. things of God, let alone any particular uh, point of the faith. So we're all, on campus, you're always uh, oriented to reaching people, mm. and even the ones who are already coming towards you, which are few, uh, reaching them in a way to strengthen them. So that's a, a difference on campus. And of course, on campus, every year you have to start again because people right. have graduated <laughs> and you can't, um, uh, you know, you can't just say, we'll do, you can say, we'll do what we did last year, but you can't say we're going to do it with the same people because right. they're not there or some of them are not there. <laughs> right. So there's that sense on a successful campus ministry is perpetually I mean, there you hear these phrases like a church perpetually in mission or a church always in mission or a missionary identity, um, which you can advocate in a parish that we should have this. It'd be better if we had this. Um, but on campus, you really can't say we should have it or we'd be better because either you have it or you don't exist. And I think one of the interesting things that um, is a challenge, I know that uh, that is 
was the motivation behind divine renovation is how do you reach uh, beyond the uh, the existing people who are coming to you and uh, in parishes especially in rural parishes that's a challenge and you know if you talk to Father Mal at some length uh, he will he will acknowledge I mean he would maintain that you can become more missionary oriented wherever in whatever parish you're yeah, at. Yes. Uh, and he also had his own personal background in some rural parishes before he came to Halifax. But I think he would acknowledge that in an urban area, it's much easier to um, it's much easier to reach people because in order to reach people, there are two things: you have to be willing to reach, but there have to be people <laughs> to yeah. to contact. And so, and if you look at some of the places where divine renovation or things analogous to it have seemed to bear good fruit, they're usually uh, urban environments, but not exclusively. Um, We're coaching into rural yeah. parishes too right and now. So, which is... uh, so I mean, it obviously can, but it's a different. There's a there's a different there's a dynamic. different dynamic yeah. um, there on campus. Uh, I'm part of what's been, I think, a very promising thing over the last twenty years. There are many campuses where the Catholic presence has been successful, growing, expanding. Uh, the Newman Centers or chaplaincies around there, you know, 25 years ago, uh, there were very there were many, many fewer fruitful dynamic, both in Canada and the United States. Um, your viewers, many of them would probably know about Catholic Christian Outreach. We have their missionaries on campus with us. You know, 25 years ago, there were very few in our country. Now they're very numerous and on campuses all over, including, you know, two here in uh, Halifax. So that's exciting because, you know, um, that first problem about, you know, uh, creating missionary parishes or parishes which are in places of population decline, that's a preoccupation for many people. And it's not obvious what can be done. Yeah. Uh, and part of what attracts interest in divine renovation is, okay, this might be something that can be done. So on that one hand, part of my life there is noticing things that are challenges that don't have easy uh, solutions. And then on campus, I wouldn't say it's easy. I don't want to make people, give people the impression that campus ministry is easy, but, because um, you have to work hard at it, but it, I say it's not complicated. You know, the if you go to a successful campus ministry somewhere in the country, I can tell you even before you get there, before I get there, what they're if they if it's if it's thriving, if it's growing, if it's producing vocations, if it's producing good marriages, if it's producing a missionary spirit, I can tell you before I get there already. I know what they're doing. So that's exciting because you've got uh, you know people you something where the gospel we know as a matter of faith that the gospel never loses its power, but we don't always see it. But on campus, it's pretty clear. If you, if you do four or five key things. Your uh, chaplaincy will uh, will flourish, and I know that because you can see it right across the country. So that's exciting to notice to be part of to be part of that. Yeah, and part of what CCO does, um, and so CCO is like Focus and other campus ministry programs around the world. But part of what they do is they they and we, I heard some of your thoughts earlier on this. They try and raise leaders quickly, right? Um, and it's it's very much what what you try and get parishes to do, Ron, is to to identify and, and raise leaders quickly. But unlike 
I mean, like I've heard you talk so much, Ron, about uh, a leadership pipeline, right? And bringing people up through leadership quickly. Well, Father Raymond, it's when you're on campus, that pipeline is is four years long, and uh, it ends up with a degree, and so you've got no choice but to bring people. Even through. shorter if you have Father Simon as a student. If, what, one, year. Yeah. <laughs> one year. That's all you had. That's all you Evangelize had. and make a leader in just one year. <laughs> but again, it was Queens. We did. Uh, in fairness, he left the Queens to enter the Companions, so join the seminary. It, yes. Yeah, yeah. Good choice. Uh, was it wasn't the Companions right away? It was, yes, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So it wasn't, uh, I mean, he was, I mean, strictly speaking, a dropout, <laughs> to use his own term. But I also know his parents, and uh, although I, I would be quite content for him to be identified publicly as a dropout, <laughs> reflects badly on the family. Oh. So it should be mentioned that Very he, kind of you. he Very. went to, to the seminary, which is not a, a to be embarrassed about, but quite the contrary. So just in order not Thank to bring you. disgrace that on the Lobo is... family, which is... Uh, I think that's because my mom made you some Indian pickles one time. Really <laughs> she did. She was very good about that. But independent of that, they're fine people. <laughs> so, um, but you're right. The the uh, timeline is very short. Mm. And in fact, at Queens, uh, the vast majority of our students are not from Kingston. Uh, so they'd be on campus from September to April. And many of them would be our... Some universities have some kind of a... You know, they've got people around summertime taking courses or just in the environment they're there, they're living there. Yeah. Uh, that's not our case. So actually our timeline is even briefer because you've got the academic months, year. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you do, there's an urgency to, uh, to reach people, to invite them, to begin their formation and very early on to begin their leadership formation and say, you're capable of uh, leading others. And uh, most of that work, to be honest, is not something that I myself, it's our missionaries, and the student leaders that our missionaries have formed. So I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I will ask about, you know, so-and-so, and, -so and uh, they say, well, yeah, I think he's actually got some potential, or but, you know, or she's, you know, she's really uh, on fire and she's ready to go. Uh, so I don't do, I don't do that specifically myself. I'm aware of, of that leadership formation, but that's something that the, the CCO model which has now shaped the way we do things for the last 10 years, um, is very leadership-oriented. So we have students who themselves are coming around only a few months, and they're already thinking about inviting their friends or, uh, or you know, organizing in a small way little things that might mm -hmm. uh, carry the mission into the little to the circles that we're not in. So. They've got the whole invitational culture that they're developing. You know, yeah. one thing I was just, I was just thinking – we were talking earlier and Ron was saying how, yes, this, this same kind of urgency, it should exist in parishes. And if we don't have the mindset that you need to have on campus, Father, and I've, I've done campus ministry as well in Detroit, uh, which, which really helped me. I, I felt it really sharpened my evangelization tools. But if we don't have that mindset as we're coming into parish, that we've got people, and let's, let's assume that we only have them for a short window how are we going to treat them? What are we going to sp uh, speak to them? How are we going to love them? How are we going to raise them up? Uh, if we don't ha have that attitude, uh, we're going to lose them. And, and I think that that really brings it home for all of our, our viewers or listeners who, who are interested in divine renovation that this is, there is an urgency in the new evangelization in, in every single context. And let's be serious about that. We can't just, in years gone by, we had this attitude that, well, 
we've got people, we're always going to have them. No, we don't. And many have already left and many are halfway out the door. If we don't do things differently. So Father Raymond, it was uh, such a pleasure to be able to bring you on today and, and to, to, to actually get to be able to speak with you this way. It's been a real joy. So if people who have been watching or listening, uh, if they wanted to find more of you, where should they, where should they find you? Uh, the, it sounds like there's a the few world, places. <laughs> the world needs more of me. Is that the, 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 uh, the world needs more Canada? That was the uh, slogan for the chapters Indigo train, wasn't it? Um, but there are two principal places. Uh, I mean, first of all, I should say that... Uh, if anybody is ending up at Queen's University, I mean, if you're on Wolf Island, you already know. <laughs> We're a small community there. Yeah. You probably know where the Catholic Church is and the Catholic priest. But if you're on Wolf Island, drop by the church. But for those who would be uh, maybe coming to Queen's University or uh, their children or grandchildren or friends, uh, certainly come by Newman House. The website is newmanhouse.ca, and they can uh, easily meet up with us. Not much in the summer, but September. And then for everybody else, uh, there are two places. Uh, there's a website called fatherdesouza.com, which uh, is a bit vainglorious, I will <laughs> concede. But anyway, that's the world we live in. So uh, fatherdesouza.com has everything I write appears there. Um, and then convivium.ca, uh, convivium, I write there once a week, but we've got lots of, I mean, I write once a week and we've probably got 10, 12 pieces a week. So I'm not the main uh, place there, but that's a great place to encounter people commenting in the Canadian context, you know, about the encounter of faith and our life together. Um, things you'll read there almost every day that you wouldn't find anywhere else. And what's even more exciting for me is writers that are there that are appearing there that wouldn't have any other place to mm. appear and reach an audience. So convivium.ca and fatherdesouza.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us. If you haven't yet gone to our website and clicked to commit, please do so now. Uh, we've been we've been going around the world and we've been inviting people to, to commit to being on mission. And so we've got a button on our website, divinerenovation.net. It's also in our app. And we just want you to take ownership of, of being on mission and, and bringing people to Christ. And this is just one way to signal and signify that commitment. And we look forward to seeing you at our next podcast. God bless. Okay.